0: Hi, I'm Kelsey Zeiser and welcome to What's the Story. This is a short podcast from Light Reading where we take a step back from the most significant topics in telecom to tell you the latest news, how we got here, what it all means and what to expect next. Today I'm talking with Mike Dano about his trip to the CCA show why T-Mobile had a presence there, despite it typically being attended by tier two operators. And we also talk about why smaller carriers are investing in 5G. In addition, we'll discuss what these smaller service providers have planned regarding the funding from the infrastructure deal and why they're showing a growing interest in utilizing public clouds. All right, Mike, thanks for joining me on What's the Story. Good to have
1: you here. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So you were recently at the
1: CCA conference. Where
0: was it and what is it all about?
1: Yeah, right. Uh, So yes, I was in sunny Tampa this week, which um, was a nice place to be because I I left Denver and the morning that I left, it was a balmy 17 degrees (sighs) in in Denver. That's way too cold. And when I landed, it was 80 degrees in Tampa. So uh, that was the place to be for sure for those of us in denver but uh yeah it was we went to the went to the uh uh annual c c a show there in Tampa the c c a which is the competitive carriers alliance uh, or association is the association that represents sort of the tier two wireless network operators in the u s uh kind of think of u s cellular and um, C Spire and mm-hmm. uh, smaller net wireless network operators like that—the um, ones that cover, you know, several states to a handful of states to you know mm-hmm. large neighborhoods type stuff—and so you really get a diverse uh, a diverse crowd of of network operators there and vendors that cater to those smaller people. And actually, I, I checked and I found out so uh, historically, T-Mobile has been a member of this organization because. Uh, In years past, T-Mobile was considered a very small operator, even though Hmm. it was nationwide, you know, Mm competing against AT&T and Verizon. Those were considered the big ones. Mm -hmm. And so T-Mobile was a small one. So naturally, T-Mobile would be a member of the CCA. Well, T-Mobile acquired Sprint uh, two years ago and is now pretty big. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's no longer small. However, it is still a member of the CCA and did have uh, some executives there at the show. So... This show is it's kind of morphed over the years, but uh, technically it's some of the smaller carriers. And that was the primary primary attendee was a small network operator and the vendors that support them.
0: So that was why in that one picture I saw, um, I think, on social media uh, that you took where there was a like really bright magenta background and. I yeah, thought, what the I heck is this he sponsored by T-Mobile? Like tongue like... in cheek, and then you know, it's actually sounds like it was kind of spot on. <laughs>
1: I had to I had to ask to make sure because T, like I said, T-Mobile's been there in the past, but they're like mm-hmm. still there. So I was like, wait a minute, they're not quite. They're actually bigger than AT and T now, technically.
0: Yeah, that's interesting uh, that they're yeah. still taking part in it.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, and they. I mean, to and to be fair, they did explain that the the. So CCA is is primarily like a trade association. They they go to DC and you know try to bring home the bacon for their members from from Washington. Mm-hmm. And T Mobile's uh, some of T Mobile's regulatory goals are different from the regulatory goals of Verizon and AT and T. So
0: okay, that's helpful. Yeah, that makes sense. It. Why they yeah. they still Board participate then? Right. Um, so what were what were some of the highlights and? Uh, Big takeaways from the show.
1: Yeah, actually, I thought there were a couple of very interesting highlights and big takeaways since you asked. (laughs) Um, So I think that I mean the big the big takeaway for me was that these small carriers, you know, which you know have you know between like ten thousand and a couple of million subscribers each, uh, they're launching five G. Like they are definitely doing this. I think there was a little bit of a question as to whether or not they would follow, you know, the big carriers in terms of uh launching 5g but but they are they're they're buying the spectrum they're investing millions of dollars in just buying the spectrum a lot of these small guys and Mm -hmm. including my favorite which was appalachia wireless that i (laughs) i did not know about that one before is that based in north carolina they cover well they cover the mountains of of uh eastern kentucky and oh okay gotcha other locales they're in and so um they're launching 5g man they they bought millimeter wave spectrum they bought mid-band spectrum they're They've got a vendor that they did not name, but they've got a three-year rollout plan for standalone wow. 5G, which is, you know, kind of an advanced. Yeah, um, that's impressive. Yeah, right. So, and they were not alone. There's lots of other of these carriers that have pulled the trigger, have plans, you know, got the spectrum, uh, deploying it in various scenarios. Some of them are taking a wait and see approach. Some of them are, you know, doing, they've got, they all got have, have slightly different strategies. Some are doing fixed wireless, some are not, some are doing, you know, millimeter waves, some are not. Uh, so they're all moving at a little bit different speed. Uh, some of them are, are testing open RAN, uh, many are not. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it was, it, that was, I thought my biggest takeaway was, that, you know, here's all these real small carriers that, and the, 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 the basic upshot from all of them was that th- there is no clear reason to launch 5g other than if you don't have it you'll lose customers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was going to be my next question was what, yeah. how, how do they feel like um, that kind of expense uh, will reap benefits in terms of, um, you know, yeah. what, what exactly are they looking for there? <laughs> it sounds like it? they just don't want to be left behind.
1: That's exactly what it is. They just don't want to be left behind. I think we all know that there's no, I mean, right. There's no real reason to have 5g. It's <laughs> kind of faster, I guess. Yeah. Uh uh, you know, is making a lot of advertising executives really rich. I think from all the ads, and otherwise, there's not a whole, <laughs> there's not a real clear right. thing. But um, so a lot of these smaller carriers, though, are launching five G, and 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 a big reason for them is is really you know not to lose any customers to the mm-hmm. big network network operators because of it. That's a you know very fair argument for them. They don't they don't want to lose customers for any reason. The other big uh, driving force for them is roaming. Mm-hmm. So if Verizon is looking for you know, to roam in Eastern Kentucky Appalachia, uh, you know, this 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 the carriers that are there, the small carriers that are there, have to offer five G in order to obtain those roaming revenues from the big companies, and vice versa. You know that that um, they want their customers to be able to roam on five G elsewhere and internationally. So, um, yeah, that they're all doing the five G.
0: Were there any discussions there in terms of the types of challenges that um, these you know, tier two carriers face, um, as as opposed to some of the larger carriers, um, you know, I I, I imagine um, providing connectivity to some of these more rural areas would would definitely be a challenge. Were there any discussions around that at all?
1: Oh yeah, I mean the issues are are the same, but very different for them. It's the same in terms of like they they have to buy radios, um, you know, they got to get handsets, but the but the the actual workings of those, the solutions to those problems are are often much different because, um, you know, in some cases they have very different spectrum band or spectrum band configuration than the big guys. And so they Mm -hmm. need to wait for the equipment vendors to support their sort of unique take on all these spectrum bands. And the same with phones. They, you know, they need to wait for the phones to have the right sort of mixture of bands and stuff. Um, So there's that. And then another, one of the real big themes at the show was the infrastructure bill. Um, I think you and I have probably written d- dozens of stories by this point about all the billions of dollars that are in government funding that are coming into, you know, specifically for rural broadband. Um, and so these carriers are really right in the center of all that. They serve these rural areas. You know, all this money is going to providing broadband in rural areas. And uh, and so they're they're all... Sort of looking at how they're going to do this kind of thing, and and they don't know yet. And the you know the reason is is because that the way that that money will be allocated has not yet been decided. Uh, it will be allocated at a state level, but we're not real sure how. Um, and the 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 real big issue for these guys right now is that it looks like uh, a lot of that money is going to go toward fiber uh, and not necessarily five um, G and and fixed wireless and stuff. And so they're they're all kind of figuring out how, if, and how they'll play in that area, Mm -hmm. will they use fixed wireless? Will they, a lot of them actually do deploy a lot of fiber. You know, will they shift over to a fiber deployment? Uh, we did hear from, uh, Alan Davidson, who is the head of the NTIA and the guy who is going to decide a lot of this stuff. He's going to, uh, provide the, uh, the, uh, rules for the States for the grants Mm -hmm. that will ultimately, you know, release that money. And so he he recorded a video message at the show, and he basically said, yeah, a lot of it's going to go to to fiber. Some of it will go to 5G, is what he said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we're left to wonder exactly how much and where and when. Right. Um, It makes you feel for
0: them and and having to play that waiting game of knowing that there's that big pot of money. But like you said, how is it going to be used? And then not having um, control over, you know, everything that it will be used for, like, you know, you were mentioning a lot of it's going to fiber, So definitely feel for them and trying to plan ahead with all those stipulations and unknowns.
1: Exactly. And the other, you know, which is a, a very related topic that they're all dealing with or a lot of these companies are dealing with is the FCC's rip and replace program. And uh, that is a program which is separate from the from the sort of rural broadband funding, but kind of related. It's that it's a FCC program that is specifically designed to take out the Huawei equipment and the ZTE equipment that a lot of these smaller carriers do have in their networks, mm-hmm. and then to replace it with equipment that's deemed secure. Uh, and so that is a huge another huge. Uh, issue that is affecting a lot of these guys. It's the same kind of thing. It's like, how do we get this government money? But right now, it's, it's really tied up because um, Congress only allotted about $2 billion, but uh, after receiving all the applications for that funding, they have a total of, re- of requests of almost $6 billion. Shoot. So now they're basically going back to Congress and like, hey, can we have another oh three billion <laughs> for this program? And and they yeah. don't know if they're going to get it. Those that mm-hmm. whole thing has stalled, and so meantime these guys are basically just waiting. They're just in a holding pattern to see what is going to happen to all this equipment that they've got in their networks that they're they are legally required to take out right. yeah. not have that in there. That sounds super frustrating. I know. These they they there was I was surprised at how few uh exasperated groans we heard. <laughs> they all seemed relatively chipper.
0: Oh, they were probably just happy to like see each other in person.
1: I know. <laughs> exactly. That's that's what everybody said. It was great to be back. There was very few masks. Everyone felt pretty, pretty safe. You know, the yeah. caseloads are very low, no mask indoor mask requirements or anything. So it felt like a return to norm for the show. Excellent.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much Mike. I appreciate this overview. It's been really interesting. Um anything else that you wanted to remark on about the show or any uh, you know, tasty meals that you had that you wanted I, to
1: tell I actually do. I you yeah, I had a couple tasty meals. Yeah, there was some uh, there's plenty of seafood to be had in Tampa, which is oh, yeah. a, a nice thing coming from Denver. You know, that here's okay. So, I I actually this is the takeaway that I had from the show that I thought mm-hmm. was very eye-opening. So, Right, they're they're the small wireless carriers, right? They're they're you know a couple hundred thousand customers, so they are not on the cutting edge. Let's just say, like they you know they they specifically said we wait for the big guys to deploy mm-hmm. stuff, then we deploy stuff after them. In a discussion about the cloud computing stuff, uh, we talked about you know Amazon and AWS. They're all selling this you know networking equipment, and you know what is what is that like? What what are these carriers? You know how do they how do they plan to handle this shift from to virtualized and software based and cloud native and you know these are issues that they're not dealing with now but they they know they're going to have to deal with and the one guy from uh, a company called Cellcom, uh, a very small operator I think it's in Minnesota uh, or Wisconsin maybe anyway he he said he flat out said uh, we know it is inevitable that we are going to put our network functions in the public cloud. And so that was, I thought, to me, a very eye-opening statement. Here's a yeah. small, small carrier, but- Yeah, interesting
0: to hear them kind of admit that. And, yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. He he said that was inevitable. We know that's yeah. going to happen at some
0: point. He, he just bypassed the whole hybrid yeah. cloud rigmarole
1: or- <laughs> yeah, you get, I mean, straight on public. <laughs> from the public. From the big guys, you usually hear a lot of pre-verification mm-hmm. and, you know, we humming and humming? Not so sure yeah. about it. We'll see, blah, blah, blah. And this guy's like, yeah, it's going to happen. Wow.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that's really interesting. I thought so. Um, Well, Mike, this has been really cool. Uh, Thanks for sharing and look forward to having you on again for What's the Story?
1: Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time.
0: Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Mike, for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you as well to our wonderful producer, Pierre Landrio, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more interviews and insights from the team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.